Hey there. You're listening to What the Riff, a podcast that takes you back through the years from 1965 to 1995, featuring a rock album of the month, a few staff picks, and a little more. We hope you'll find something you haven't heard in a while, along with a few deeper cuts that you may never have heard, or that you'll find a new artist to follow. Visit our website, whattheriff.com, where our blog will show you all the artists we've covered, as well as a list of every track. Thanks to our sponsors, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So it's time to turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? Pope John Paul II is the first pope to visit the White House. Typhoon Tip becomes the most intense tropical cyclone ever recorded with peak sustained winds of 190 miles per hour. And Mother Teresa is awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. This is October 1979. You're listening to What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Brian. I'm Bruce. I'm Rob. And we have our friend of the show, Doug Aiken, bringing our featured album, which is an awesome pick. Yes, gentlemen, today we're listening to the album Hydra. Second release from the band Toto in 1979. And uh, you are listening to the one hit that came off of this album, 99. Uh, the members of Toto comprise of high school friends who formed their own band. Uh, originally created by Jeff Picaro on drums and David Pace on keys. They then brought in the younger brothers and high school mate Steve Lukather, Steve Picaro, their friend David Hungate and for on the band Toto. I love this song. I mean, this is just classic. Well, in 1979 when this came out, this was uh, the couple skating with your chick song. <laughs> uh, this, yeah, you couldn't miss with this song. It was, it was very well done. The video, if you remember, uh, they were all wearing white, if you've ever seen it, all wearing white. And I kid you not, at the age of 13, I was watching back then what were these video shows that came on before MTV hit the airwaves and I remember watching this video hearing it I remember I already liked the song and I kid you not I ran from my den to the room where my my parents piano is that I still have to this day and I spent the next hour picking out the intro to this song Absolutely. so uh, yeah I my they, Toto is my guilty pleasure you guys are taking a huge professional risk having me review this album. <laughs> uh, and actually 99 is based on uh, the George Lucas movie THX 1138 in which people are no longer names they are numbers oh, so you have wow. a man who is in love with a woman and she is merely 99 uh, so no reference at all to the get smart TV series that's right. when, when it first came out that's what I thought I did was, too Brian I thought that that and, it was uh, referring to 99 agent 99 she was get a, smart. the one Dream. time that Toto actually writes a song about a girl and it doesn't have a name in it because <laughs> they did about six of them but uh, yeah basically Toto uh, to this day are probably some of the most sought after musicians. If you go to your record collection, your CD collection, your cassette collection, if you still have them, get it out, look at all your credits from the 70s into the 80s, you're gonna see the names, Jeff Picaro, David Pace, Steve Lukather, on and on and on, over and over and over again. Their resume would wrap around this room about four or five times. Uh, initially, Jeff Picaro, the founding member of the band, at the age of 19, uh, got his first big break as the drummer on the Sonny and Cher show. Well, For those now. of us old enough to remember that. And in yes. fact, if you look at a few videos, you'll actually see David Page playing piano. Uh, and Sonny and Cher would do these 
back and forth uh, medleys of hits of yep. that day. Yep. And so that. Jeff Picaro was the drummer at that time. Jeff then went on to work with pretty much everybody on the planet. If you like Steely Dan, if you like Michael Jackson's Thriller, if you like the Doobie Brothers, if you like the B-52s, you've heard Jeff Picaro. How about that? This part right here, the, the sound, it's just, it's just so classic. And it, it's, you know, relaxing. But it was rocking a second ago, so, you know, it got a lot of uh, change, in, uh, change in pace. Right. And, Rob, I, I, that's one of the things, and, and um, uh, Doug had mentioned that earlier. I did the same thing. When this song came out, uh, I ran to the piano and just started trying to pick it out. It's actually not hard to pick it out. It's, uh, it, it has more of a, uh, an acoustic guitar feel, but everything is it's a very repetitive thing. So once you've got the chords, you've got the song. I do I do a, a great rendition on an air piano. <laughs> air piano. This this is Brian on the air piano. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. But he's playing the air guitar on the air piano. I play I play I play a great <laughs> air piano or keyboard and an air drum and um, air guitar. I'm, well, Steve Luther said about the album. He said you get successful with something, it's always a whole a whole thing where you don't want to repeat it. So they tried something different with Hydra, and it sold well, although it might have been a little bit rushed for them. Uh, and the irony is, is that Rolling Stone beat up on them for the first album, which actually was a great project. But then when they released Hydra, uh, Rolling Stone then said that it didn't capture the magic of the first album. <laughs> so oh, wow. The irony of uh, getting, getting critiqued. Everybody's a critic, aren't they? And uh, off the first album was the song Hold the Line, and that right. was a really, really intense song. That's one introduced everybody to Toto. I really like that great song. Great start, too. though, Doug. Great, great song. So we're going to go a little deeper, I think, aren't we? Yeah, This uh, the next song, Mama, uh, is classic of the L.A. sound. And this is where I am a huge Jeff Picaro fan I, just because of the fact that he was, everybody refers to him as the groove master. He was the guy that, in my opinion, invented the L.A. sound that we grew up with. So, if, hmm. like I said, if you like the Steely Dan, the Doobie Brothers sound, the smooth grooves, this is the guy that played it all. He was the guy that invented the sound that we grew up to, George Benson. Uh, and in fact, uh, I was on a trip uh, last month, and I had XM Sirius in my rental car. And if you listen to Channel 70, there is a channel called Yacht Rock. Oh. And I kid you not, I, I was listening to songs, and they played five songs in a row in which Jeff Picaro was the drummer. Oh, wow. So that's, but he was the most sought-after session drummer, and it wasn't so much that he was um, like a Neil Peart kind of guy with a 150-piece kit that rotates around him. Mm -hmm. He could just take a nice 9-10 piece pearl kit and just do the smoothest rhythms. He knew, he knew when to play and when not to play. So yeah. the song FM would have turned out much different, but he took notes out of it, and it became a better song. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So basically what you're saying is, by doing that, there was no static at all. No static at all. No. Uh, you're also saying that, that he knew when to hold them and knew when to fold There you go. Yes, he did. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what this is reminding me of, Doug, is Alan Parsons' project. Yeah. Really? I do hear that. Well, and you can definitely feel a little Steely Dan. Oh, yeah. Well, this is definitely a Steely Dan tie-in. I mean, this could have been done by Donald Fagan, you know, easily back in the day. Definitely has a jazz feel. Oh yeah. Well, both uh, 
the Picaros, you essentially have the Picaro brothers, Steve, Mike, and uh, and Jeff. And uh, then you have uh, David Pace. Both of their fathers, Marty Pace, was a composer and arranger. And Joe Picaro, the father of the Picaro boys, was a big band jazz drummer as well. So these guys came from sort of a, yeah. a nice legacy of insane talent. So they were they were in the right place in L.A. and they were in the right families, so that they were in those circles to begin with, mm-hmm. right? And then of course the the, the practice and the talent and things like that right. is going to come as well. Right. What was it about 1979 though? We had songs about Mama. You had Mama from Toto, then you also had Mother yep. from Pink Floyd. What, what, what's that all about? A few years later, uh, Genesis yes. uh, had Mama. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, some of the more hardcore members, or, or rather fans of the band, will remember uh, uh, the next song, Hydra, that we'll be playing, White Sister, was on here. And some of these songs are actually even better live than they were in the studio because of the sort of the grand nature of being on stage. Now, Doug, this was their second album, right? Second album, yes. Was, was this a concept album? Were they trying to do something conceptual with it, or is it just does it just have that feel because the songs are a little bit the songs are a little bit longer and more like I'm? Well, they definitely got more it. progressive with this one because the first one was uh, you have to the sort of the success of Toto came from uh, an album the previous year, Boskag Silt Degrees. Okay. And so that became their calling card, and so they were already an active bunch working in the Valley with other artists, but that album, Silt Degrees, became their their sound. They put out Toto One that sounded much like Boz, okay. and I think they were trying to evolve into something different in the L.A. scene at that time. Their next album, Turn Back, wasn't nearly as commercially popular, so right. they went back to Basics and Toto 4, which, of course, was their biggie, and they won, what, about seven Grammys from the thing. Yeah. But they, it, this was definitely uh, more of a concept, uh, different feel to it. I mean, uh, Hydra is a seven-and-a-half-minute track, but the but the instrumentals are fantastic. So where would uh, the, the bands in L.A.? I mean, you know, we always heard about Motley Crue, Van Halen, all those would play the Roxy or the Whiskey A Go-Go. Where were bands like Toto... And what L.A. scene did they hit to, to make it big? Well, it was, uh, you had the Doobie Brothers of the world. You had uh, George Benson. You had Al Jarreau. Um, countless other artists. Well, let me put it this way. If you liked Michael Jackson's Thriller, uh, essentially half of that album is Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, and Toto. Mm-hmm. They wrote half the album huh. and composed half the album. So they floated in all these circles with the, uh, the horn sections like... Uh, the Chicago guys, Jim Pankow, and those guys, um, uh, and on and on. I mean, Nathan East on bass, and they sort of evolved into this L.A. fraternity of musicians that played on everybody's albums. It's like we usually say all roads lead to yes, but in this case, all roads <laughs> lead to Toto. Yeah. What I remember when their first album came out is is that they were pro- promoted as being the new um, session group monster jam i guess or monster rock whatever mega band whatever it was that that's where they got their kind of publicity at is from what i saw it wasn't hitting all the all the they hit all the studios not the you know rocky roxy roxy and and the yeah. whiskey go go yeah. like that they were playing studios not in venues well, they're the guys that nobody ever knew. I mean, it, you know, like I said, unless you get your, your old albums and cassettes out and you read the name, oh, that's the person. You right. Know, like, mm. 
the average the average uh, pop fan back in our era wouldn't know who any of these names are necessarily unless you were a fan of the band. Now, what's, you, this, what's this track here, Doug? This is Hydra. Uh, this is the introduction track on the album. Uh, this is absolutely tremendous when they play it live. There's your keyboard. Yes. Well, and speaking of keyboards, uh, if you find old, old pictures of this band, like I said, their talent was being everybody's uh, musicians and programming synthesizers. There's a picture of uh, Steve Picaro, the uh, keyboard player, online, and he's playing this keyboard, but next to him is this six-foot tower of nothing but headphone jacks all the way down this board, and he's plugging in chords to make the sounds on the keyboard. Keith Emerson used to do the same thing, but they could do it live. I mean, they knew when to when to change it. Today, you fired up, it's all ready to go. So they really were, they were 10 levels deep in what they played and how they played it. Now, what's the... Uh, What's what? What's the topic of Hydra? I mean, it's, it's, does it tell a story? Well, or? it's basically this uh, sort of chasing dragons on the front of the album. You see this guy with a sword going up to rescue the girl. You know that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, they actually had a video to this song. Really? Yeah. There's a video online to this song. Although they probably cringe at some of their earlier videos because All Us Boys from this album uh, has a video as well. And it's, it, it, let's just say it was the early days of videos and they probably well, wish it would go away. I, I, think, I think we can all agree, regardless of how we feel about Toto's Africa, that the video to Africa is one of the worst videos that's ever been made. <laughs> so, so you're saying that they're sort of almost doing that prog rock, earthquaking type thing. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, they were, and in fact, their their prog rock sound, they developed a band in the mid-1980s, and uh, I think it still runs today, called Los Lobotomous. And it comprises of a few members of Toto and other big musicians in the Bay Area. And it's all prog rock, really deep, hardcore kind of stuff, jazz fusion. Cool. That kind of sound, and it's... It's a lot more unleashed, and in fact, the thing about Toto is people remember the hits, the 99s, the Rosannas, that kind of thing, which is all well and good, uh, but starting in 1992, unfortunately, the year we lost Jeff Beccaro, uh, they put out an album called Kingdom of Desire. If you want to hear Toto really unleashed with all their talent, no apologies, and they're not looking for radio play, start with that album and go up from there, because from there on out, when they sort of got out of the corporate rock of the 80s, mm -hmm. they really unleashed, and you hear Steve Lukather playing guitar more, he's more up front, uh, the drums are just insane, I mean, it, this music, you, you won't believe it's the same band when you hear it. Wow. Because this is sort of a contained, you know, kind of feel here, but they, they yeah. do have ridiculous talent. Uh and they are still touring. Yes, they are. Yeah, in fact, Steve Picaro uh, rejoined the band a few years ago, and they're as close to the nucleus as they can get now. David Page, Steve Lukather, and Steve Picaro with them. Uh, funny trivial thing, you know, uh, Weezer recently brought back their Africa. Yes. Which, uh -huh. of course, now my kids sing, the, my kids know the song, start to finish. It, what cracked me up is uh, now on their tour, they do a cover of Weezer's Hashpipe. <laughs> if you haven't heard it, it's actually really good. <laughs> That's fantastic. Turnabout's fair play. Yep.
and they uh, they, they lost uh, their brother Mike Picaro back in 2015 Ooh. to uh, ALS. And uh, actually, during the whole ice bucket challenge thing here in Atlanta, and I think they were playing the Fox. Uh, they did the ice bucket challenge on stage here in Atlanta uh, oh, when, during that year when everybody was doing that. But Mike was a, a terrific bass player, uh, really quite underrated. And, and but so many people wouldn't know who he is, but he was a very talented player. My favorite Toto is Toto Four, yeah, and it, it had so many awesome songs on it. Recently, I guess it was from 2015, they actually had Toto 14. Yes. And that was a great project. It is a fantastic project. I saw that one. I saw them live perform that one. It was really cool. And they brought back uh, lead vocalist uh, Joseph Williams, who, once again, you talk about Dynasties, the son of composer John Williams. Okay. Who did every soundtrack in the world. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, these guys really come from quite a nice little lineage of, uh, of talent. Uh, and Toto is one of the few bands, if you listen to the first project, the fourth project, and a few others, one of the few bands that will have four lead singers on one album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always feel like they build, they have chords progressions, and they build up, and they build, go down. It's really pretty distinctive in, in my mind. Another thing I really appreciate about Toto is their album cover, their artwork. Yeah, you know? their While artwork they might call good. it Toto 14... And, they, you know, they've got the swords, you know, but I think they, they're well done. Yeah, Jeff Picaro once said when Toto 4 came out, he said there were four rings on the sword. He said if you notice each ring looks a little more worn than the other because it's the first album, second album, third album, fourth album. So the top ring is nice and clean. Oh. You get down the bottom one, it's a little chipped. That's interesting. Very cool. And there's always been a big debate on where the name Toto came from. Some uh-huh. say it's the Wizard of Oz. Uh, in an interview I heard, Jeff Picaro said it came from the Latin in toto, meaning all-encompassing because their their talent kind of doesn't just go in one direction. Right. Uh, there was a joke. Uh, if you've been in any airport in the country, the Toto Toilet Company that you see everywhere you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they, the legends are all over the place. So it depends on which interview you hear and read as to where they actually got the name. Sure. That's awesome. Well, and I imagine, too, that uh, they, they benefit from having – uh, a lot of different controversy over where the name came from. That, that, that they're not going to own any of it because all of it makes them makes people think. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Good. Well, thanks there, for Doug. bringing us that, uh, Doug. I think it was a lot of fun, even though it was a little bit a little bit long, perhaps. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I I enjoyed it thoroughly. So thank you much. You're listening to What the Riff from October 1979. If you're enjoying what you hear, tell your friends about us so they can subscribe and follow us on Facebook. Visit whattheriff.com to find all of our episodes. Now we're going to return to What the Riff with our entertainment track. I think Wayne picked this one. Oh, yes. No, I did not. Thanks, Wayne. I did not, but... It was Wonder Woman was a big TV show back then. I just yes. couldn't get over the invisible airplane, her flying it, and but you could see her. It's like, what's the use of an invisible airplane if you just see this woman sit down flying through the air? I'll give a lot of credit to Gal Gadot. I'll give a lot of credit to her, but Linda Carter is oh. the. Wonder Woman. I still have a crush on her. Oh, so she's fantastic. I've seen her at Dragon Con, and she's she's absolutely gorgeous still. But uh, in TV in October 1979, also, Shirley was a new comedy series that came out starring 
Shirley Jones from the Partridge Family. Yep. And it lasted all of one season. Mm. But there was a historic um, TV drama. Uh, it was a miniseries called Freedom Road, if you remember that. It had Muhammad Ali and Chris Christopherson in it. Mm. Uh, Ali played an ex-slave who was a foreign Union soldier who returns back to South Carolina. Uh, he eventually becomes a U.S. senator. It's actually based on a true story, or they, but they did take liberties. It's so funny. I just I <laughs> I haven't heard this in forever, but I can picture Linda Carter with her uh, bracelets spinning off bullets, mm. spinning in circles. That's great. <laughs> A drum solo time. You may not know the intro to this. I do. This is one you really need to have have the headphones on for. Yeah, this is going left to right, right to left, yeah. center, up, down, all around. This is when you're ha- so happy you bought those big six by nine Kragers in your car. <laughs> <laughs> Put in that. That seven-band uh, equalizer that danced with the lights. Oh, yeah. I love the guitar just kind of slowly coming in. And this is called a space opera. It's by Billy Thorpe in Australia. It's called Children of the Sun. It sounds very spacey. I love it. This is a teenage male-oriented song all the way. Like 2112. Absolutely. People out the earth, can you hear me? Came a voice from the sky on that magical night. So I'll tell you where I heard this song for the first time. I'm going to give a shout-out to Mr. Tracy Nunley, who had a 76 Bandit Edition Trans Am with loaded with the speakers and he would crank this thing up and it was just fantastic always uh associated this guy's sound with sort of sweet uh ballroom blitz and yeah. that whole okay. i can say that kind of the glam rock the glam rock definitely yeah I don't think I knew it was Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs. I, I don't think well, I knew that was the actual. Was, Aztecs was his original band. Right, right. He was on his own then. Okay. Now, okay. at yeah. this time in 79, he was on his own. But gotcha. he was Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs, and that was a 60s Australian band. We've done several of them. We had the Seekers before. We had several different ones. And uh, he had actually moved to California at the time and came out on his own. And this was the, the one of the resulting... This is not a deep cut. This was a hit. Actually, I want to say it came back as a hit. It was like reissued and came back as a hit also. Yeah, I think it did. You know, it, it's probably appropriate at this time in October 79. I remember there being lots of talk about UFOs and aliens and all that kind of stuff. And uh, this ties in, certainly. Well, we talked about it. We, we pointed out this song earlier uh, when we had uh, Blue Oyster Cole. Uh, you know, take me away, and we right. talked about you know, yes. come sail away was another one of those songs of of UFOs or whatever else. And you know, to to me, this is one of those ones that just it just kind of just kind of plugged away. I liked it when it, you know when a beam made of light hit the crowd and it gives that little yep. 
all kinds of little effects. See, this is a nice use of uh, keyboards where it's not overblown and they incorporate rock into it, whereas eventually keyboards took over the, uh, uh, the, the industry. This is definitely kind of prog rock. Oh, it's yeah. probably one of the towards the end of prog rockish. <laughs> and I'm I'm just going to repeat: you really do need to listen to this with headphones on because it's got the 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 percussion moving around left to right, front to back. It's doing all kinds of things that you miss if you're not listening to it that way. I feel like there's a laser light going through my head. This song is very much like a band called Spock's Beard. Yes. I uh, I mean this is right up their alley. This whole part right here is very much like Spock's beard who are just those guys are ridiculously talented Doug I am I am shocked that somebody else knows Spock's beard well another one of my favorite musicians Kevin Gilbert the late Kevin Gilbert from Toy Matinee one of my favorite projects ever uh, was one of the founding members of that group okay yeah this is a this is a great pick I'm glad you uh, brought it Wayne I do have a question with was there another big hit of theirs? Not really. He's sort of a one-hit wonder yeah. on that. Besides his hits he had one with the Aztecs when, when he was a kid. So. I'm kind of like Doug. I thought it was somebody else, like maybe Now, Sweet. he's done scores for War of the Worlds, Star Trek The Next Generation, Eight is Enough, things of that sort. But, you know, he's, he's more of a, a, a music composer now. That makes sense. Nice pick. More cowbell. More cowbell. So this is my pick. Uh, this is Bruce. And uh, this is our friend Jimmy Buffett. I love his storytelling. This is one of my favorite Jimmy Buffett it, it's songs. It's one of mine, too. It's one of mine, too. So this is Finn's. And it's telling the story, and, and I saw this quote from Buffett on Song Facts, and this is what he says about the origin. He says, I was, I was in a bar near Daytona Beach, and I saw a group of guys crowded around some girls who were obviously in town for a beauty contest of some sort. I sat back and listened to their conversation and took notes. For a moment, I pictured that these guys had fins coming out of their backs as they hit on the girls. It was a pure feeding frenzy, and I scribbled down pieces of their conversation and wrote the song. Now it seems the land shark population has increased tremendously. <laughs> I guarantee if you come down to my part of the world in Tampa Bay, drive to any bar in the Bay Area all afternoon, you will eventually hear this song once. Oh, absolutely. I think it's required by state law at this point. That, that Margaritaville. <laughs> now, if you go to a Jimmy Buffett concert, most of the Buffett heads are just sitting there, parrot heads, I'm sorry, have their hands straight up above their head uh -huh. in a flat where it's just kind of the pinkies kind of pointing towards you, and they're jumping around or running around the whole place, just, you know, like they're little sharks running Fantastic. around. So it's kind of cool. Now, Doug, where'd you go to college at? I uh, started off at Georgia State, wrapped up at Georgia Southern. Okay. What was the ratio of uh, girls to guys there? Not enough. Not enough. <laughs> At least for me. So I, I, one of the it, it things, could just be me. One of the things that I think about with this, because I know these other guys are from Georgia and from Auburn and from uh, LSU, I'm, I'm imagining that none of you have the, the, the ratio of four to one guys to girls that we had at Georgia Tech. 
And uh, one of the things that I remember is every fall, it felt like a feeding frenzy when you would get the freshman girls coming on campus. <laughs> and this song would always come to mind. Even Georgia fans could get excited about a four-to-one ratio. <laughs> <laughs> if they could do the math. If oh. they could. Oh. 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 Yes, but we would have had it the other way around. Yes. <laughs> it was like, a very different sounds campus, like Florida State. <laughs> the sharks that could swim on the land. I really, I like even this part right here. It's just, yeah. I like it. I like this so much better than Margaritaville. It's just really a lot of fun. To your point, storytelling. Yeah. I love that line where he says, fins to the left, fins to the right. And you're the only bait in town. That's fantastic. <laughs> Just a fun song. I had fun with that one, Bruce. Everybody's got their fins up. Now we're going to move to the number one song of 1971. Nine, Usually, nine, nine. 1979, sorry. Usually Brian picks that song. Oh, yeah. But no, this time I it's wish someone I could else. Have. I think it's Rob. You cannot cover 1979 without touching on this. It's a staff pick. This was actually number one on the charts for six weeks. Oh, it was huge. It was the biggest song of the year. Absolutely. It's the, it's the Knack. It's My Sharona from their album Get the Knack. This was Capitol Records' fastest gold status debut single. Since the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand in 1964. It, Spe- went, it went so quick up the charts, I couldn't believe it. Speaking of which, they were compared to the Beatles with this album, because I remember the distinctly everybody coming out going, hey, these are the new Beatles, because how quickly this, uh, Girl, Good Girls Don't, you know, was another song by them off that album that was, you know, got a lot of airplay. I'm sure we all want to know the story behind it. Oh, yeah. Rob, tell us the story behind it. <laughs> so the lead vocalist, his name was Doug Figer, and he was 25 years old, and he was dating this girl, Sharona Alperin, and she at that time was 17. On the edge of 17? <laughs> he already had the riff to this song, but he said it took him about 15 minutes to write it as he was thinking about their relationship. But the riff came from the lead guitarist, Burton Avere. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, before he joined the Knack. And he had this riff in his head, and he came and he played it for Doug uh, Figer. Thank you. And um, they said, okay, we got to use this at some point. So they did. To your point about how quickly this song just surged up the charts, what do you think? Why do you think that happened? I, I think it's just the, the beat was just memorable and the story was good. Well, once again, I mean, we're, we're talking the late 70s, so disco has is just starting to die. People are craving anything that doesn't have violins in it and, you know, whatever. These guys come out with a fantastic 4-4 time and knock it out of the park. Also, this you got to remember the cars are hitting it here. Elvis Costello. Yeah. You had that new wave really starting. The B-52s had had, a, had their album out. So you you had that really new wave, new music coming through, pop music by M. We, we had a lot of songs. But this song also, I mean, it's, it's more of an epic of a song because it's got these movements. Like we've just right. moved into a different movement right. in right. the song. Yeah. 
And does anybody happen to know who the brother of the late Doug Figer is? This is going to take you back. Okay. His brother is Jeffrey Figer, the attorney that defended Jack Kevorkian and Dr. Death all through oh, the early wow. 90s. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Family legacy. Yeah, there's a connection. Love that guitar solo. Oh, absolutely. The reason I'm asking, I mean, you guys all brought up great points, but I think it. what I remember is the knack wasn't in a new wave when they started playing some rock riffs like this. It, they didn't really go into that new wave pool, right? Yeah. but they were staying in mainstream, and that's why, in my opinion, why they went up because of, you know, the pool, like you said, it's, it's different areas of the song, Yeah, and this just kicked butt on the guitar. Yeah. They put out a project in the uh, the mid to late 80s called Serious Fun. If you have not heard that project, it is right out of the gate a phenomenal project. And I heard it, uh, our, our friend Van introduced me to it about 25 years ago, mm-hmm. and I still have it on my, my, uh, my iPod, my MP3 collection, all that is a great project. I love this right here. It feels like Frampton comes alive, doesn't oh, it? Absolutely. And the guitar work, man, just cranking it oh, out. Oh, absolutely. Just screaming. Yep. Here's a couple of interesting trivia points. In 2005, they found this song on the playlist of U.S. President George W. Bush. As they should. <laughs> and Sharona is now a real estate agent in the Los Angeles area. And she owns the domain mysharona.com and uses it for business. Of course she does. <laughs> well she done, Sharona. Keep it. You got to check out the uh, the uh, cover as well for My Sharona, the single. She's pretty good looking. I well, can see that might have been one of the reasons it went up the charts. <laughs> Great that was pick. A good one, Excellent Rob. pick. All right, now we're going to move over, and this one is being brought to us by... Mr. Brian. Yes. Remember this? Ooh. We're kind of mellowing out a little bit Going here. to the smooth jazz. Smooth. We're back to yacht rock. Little yacht rock. Smooth jazz. I like that yacht rock. This is our friend Jerry Rafferty. This is from the Night Owl album, of course. This is the one that followed this, the mega hit, City to City. And we uh, covered a couple songs, I think, from City to City and as staff picks before, but I really like the, this, this, this song, and this is really, it, it didn't have the success, but then again, it was really difficult to top the success of City to City, but uh, this is my favorite song off of this album. The introduction, this, this saxophone way back in the background, yeah. and they bring it up a little bit, and he used saxophone so well in Baker Street, oh, and yeah. that, just nice use of sax in his, uh, in his music. We have a theme here, Doug, you may have heard us repeat it before, that you never can go wrong with the sax. And I love his voice. In 1979, I took a trip with my parents, and I was on one of those Delta flights with a really uncomfortable plastic headphones that (laughs) hurt your ears by the end of the flight. This was on the rotation of all the pop songs of the day, along with M pop music and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I must have heard this song about 15 times, fell in love with it as a kid. And every time I hear it, I think about flying to, I think we were going to Puerto Rico or whatever, but thought I still think of it to this day. That's amazing how music takes you back to something like that. I do remember this song, but I don't think I've heard it since the 70s, 80s. Yeah, it's really? been a while since I've heard it. Great song. Imagine that. Yeah. Rob's usually the one that brings us these deep picks, and 
he is the number one pick of the of the year, and now Brian Big does I'm, the deep I'm, I'm bringing Thank up you, uh, the rear with a, a deep a deep cut here. Brian is a multifaceted man. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> he'll make it up to us next time. That's, That's right. right. If he gets it wrong, he'll get I'll it right. I'll definitely next get time. it right the That's next right. time. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> He was really unique as far as uh, when you think about stuck in the middle with you yeah. compared Steelers to this, wheel. compared to Baker Street. He had such a, a variety of sound. You couldn't couldn't pigeonhole him into, into one particular right. kind of sound. I mean, he was all over the map. I love those creative types that are difficult to pigeonhole. Oh, here we go, boys. Some of the music in October 1979. Bob Dylan first appears on Saturday Night Live. Beatlemania is going opens up in London. Fleetwood Mac gets a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Uh, the 13th Country Music Awards. Uh, big winners were Willie Nelson, Kenny Rogers, and Barbara Mandrell. Was there anybody else in country music other than those three or four at that time? Ooh. And Guinness Book World Records presents Paul McCartney as the best-selling uh, singer-songwriter. Oh, wow. You think he's still holding that? I think so. Yeah, and Guinness, maybe. I don't even know if anybody's really writing their own songs anymore. Good point. <laughs> I love that line they just said. It goes, when you believe there's a mountain you can climb, and if you get it wrong, you get it right the next time. I like that line. That's right. Unless you're climbing Mount Everest, in which case... Well, that's true. It's, it's kind of congested up there, I hear. But some of the albums that came out at that time, The Police, we kind of talked about New Wave. That was mm -hmm. They were part of that. Bob Marley and the Wailers. Joe Jackson, another... Joe Jackson. New Wave. He had some good stuff. Queen. The Boomtown Rats. Rod Stewart. Fleetwood Mac. Tusk. I'm surprised no one picked anything off of that. Elton John. Donna Summer. Uh, the dead time of... Uh, dying time of uh, disco. I, I think what happened there is, you know, disco really became commercial at that point. Yeah. So the the it's kind of like the hair bands that took over heavy metal. It's the same thing with disco. I think that when it was organic, people really liked it. When it becomes commercial, it, it really fades. There you Stick. go. Listen to that, Doug. A little keyboard action. Oh, yeah. The good kind. Yeah. Go ahead, Wayne. Uh, other one, Sticks, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Sweet, Molly Hatchet, and Blondie all came out that time. So we're ending it up with uh, Brian's pick. Thank you, Brian. I mm -hmm. enjoyed that tremendously. Wonderful. That's a nice pick. Now Very we're going solid. to the last staff pick, and this is a guest staff pick from Doug Aiken. What do you got for us, Doug? Uh, today I brought, uh, speaking of uh, bands that uh, adapted disco into the modern era, uh, this actually is one of my favorite ELO songs of all time. I just It's a feel-good track. Uh, it is uh, uh, Last Train to London off of ELO's 1979 release, Discovery. And it had several hits. Yeah, Don't Bring Me Down, Shine a Little Love, mm -hmm. Confusion. And I, uh, this song actually hit 39 in the U.S. charts, hit number eight in the U.K. And um, Jeff Lynn said that basically back in those days, let me find this quote here, sorry, uh, that he said it just seemed like there was an endless time where we were catching trains from Birmingham, or as us Southerners would say, Birmingham, right. but it's Birmingham, England, uh, to London. So that's the song. They were traveling back and forth to gigs, doing their thing. And um, I just, this song's been on my mind a lot, and I was telling the guys before the show that I, I caught the, if you have not seen the Jeff Lynn ELO in Wembley, 
live. It is absolutely outrageous. Is that yeah. on YouTube? Uh, it's on uh, HBO, I think, HBO. right? It's on one of them, but it's also available on DVD as well, but it is a terrific concert. And they are another band we uh, that we mentioned that sometimes you forget the number of hits that a band had oh, yeah. until you hear them oh. and you're like, oh my God, yeah, they did that song, that song, that song. And this guy should have been in the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> a lot of his influence, you can tell, comes from them. Yeah. Well, I don't think we've, I don't think we've covered ELO, an ELO album yet, and uh, we certainly are, we need to. We've yeah, got we one to. on the on the list. Yes, but, uh, but we definitely need to hit ELO. So yeah, my co- my cousin great. Noah is into ELO right now, so I'll give a shout out to Noah. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this came out back when Rob and I and our our gang were all down at Stone Skate, going round and round and round. Oh so, yeah, that time period. All skate, everyone skate. All skate. <laughs> This was their big album. I think they they kind of jumped the shark with the disco here, but um, I never. I mean, I can hear the disco influence now, but I never thought of it as disco during and, the oh, time. This was a double album too, if I remember. I don't know. I know uh, Out of the Blue was a double album. It, I'm not actually, sure if it, had, it had nine tracks on it. It was just a, a regular LP. So I remember Don't Bring Me Down was the last song on the album that time. And I also remember having the eight track, of which I uh, played in my room over and over again. Of course, you had that wonderful experience of listening to a song like this, and it fades out. And then click, you get to hear the rest of it. Uh, those <laughs> but it the would days. keep playing. Yeah. That God was the nice thing about yeah. it, just forever. Yeah, this is great. Um, hope we're uh, we've got some tickets to see them uh, this summer. Wayne and I are going to go. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's an amazing show. One thing, Jeff Lynn. If if you don't know, he's on the Traveling Wilburys. He was one of the prime ones with George Harrison. Yeah, it was just a, a a big group. Basically, Bob Dylan, uh, Tom Petty. There was there was a lot of people that were involved in that. Uh, but yeah. ELO was my first concert I went to in '77. Yeah. With or without and it the spaceship? Blew me away. I'm sorry. With or without the spaceship? Uh, it was with the spaceship. That's when they first like an Out of the Blue album. That was the double album I was thinking of. Okay. It came down and opened up, and there's the orchestra and the electric lights were tremendous. It was, it was, it blew me away. Well, they were ahead of their time too with that. I think were they weren't they one of the first bands to introduce strobes or, or, or lasers in their lasers? Show? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Lasers. ELO was my, uh, coming up, was the first rock band that I really gravitated to. And then after I discovered Rush, then that, that became my, my <laughs> band from then on, as the t-shirt that I'm wearing shows. Yes. Yeah, they were kind of one of those bands that everybody kind of liked them at some point during yes. their career. You may not have liked everything they did, but uh, they made a bunch of, good, uh, bunch of good music and a lot of feel-good kind of tunes that still stand up today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Nice, nice pick. pick there, Doug. That's a good one. Thank you. Well, as we end our staff picks, we're going to start moving into our instrumental, our comedy song. And we we're talking about the top hits of October 1979. And this one was one. Herb Albert. Rise. This is a great groove. Now, we've focused on Herb Albert a few times, but, I mean, he's, I mean, for 20 years, I think he was putting out a, a number one song somewhere along the line of almost every year, it seems like. Yeah, I want to say we've picked done one from the 60s that he did. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, this is, this is a historic one because this 
this instrumental song hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100, and um, it was it made Herb Albert the first, and I think he's the only one, uh, only artist to reach the top of the Hot 100 with both a vocal and an instrumental performance. And he did. He hit number one back in 1968 with This Guy's In Love With You. And I think he might have been with Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass at that Mm -hmm. point. But this song received a Grammy for the best pop instrumental performance. And Herb Alpert is the A in A&M Records. Yes, he is, isn't he? Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss are A&M. Other top hits of uh, October 1979, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Michael Jackson from his, uh, his first album. His off first the wall. solo album exactly yep. off the wall Sad Eyes uh, Robert John man I'm sorry I'm going to turn that away on that one <laughs> Sail On by the Commodores that's a nice that's excellent and finally we didn't get to a film of 1979 of October but uh, When a Stranger Calls it was uh, basically a horror film about Sort of the classic legend of a babysitter and the man yeah. upstairs. What, was that the one where they, the, yeah, like the, he's calling from inside the house? Yeah, or exactly. Or was that another yes. one? I, yeah, that's I it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Starting over, starring Burt Reynolds, Jill Claiborne, and Candace Bergen, and follows a recently divorced man who uh, is torn between his new girlfriend and his ex-wife. I don't understand that. And finally, probably the number one. Movie of October 1979, 10. 10. And you know what, though? Uh, Everybody, of course, you know, Bo Derek was obviously the uh, the talk of the of the movie. But I have to say, personally, Dudley Moore was outstanding. Yes, he was. He yes, was he as was. funny as I have ever seen. And, and, and that and an Arthur. I mean, th- those were the two yeah. movies I saw back to back, and I went... You know, I could see why he was so popular in England with yeah. with his it was the comedic timing, and, and it was it was hilarious. Yeah, I think Ten was like his second big uh, sort of American release film because he did that movie Foul Play with Goldie Hawn, and he's hilarious in that. He's a kind of a bit part in that one, right. but yeah, Ten he totally shines. Then Arthur hits next, but yeah, who didn't like like Dudley Moore? You know, at some point. Well, this has been a uh, lot of variety in. Uh, this podcast from October of 1979. Appreciate uh, our friend Doug Aiken kicking it off with Hydra. Thank you, Doug. Glad you're with us. Thank you very much for having me, guys. So we're going to end this episode, which is October of 1979. Signing off of What the Riff. I'm Rob. I'm Bruce. I'm Brian. And I'm Wayne. I hope you enjoyed it. You've been listening to What the Riff. We hope you've enjoyed riffing with us and all the songs we had on tap today. Check out our website, whattheriff.com, to find a complete list of our blog and then find each track on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify to listen to them again. Follow us on Facebook at What The Riff and let us know what artists you'd like us to feature in the future. Tell your friends about us and thank you to our sponsors, Stanton Electric and Marbury Creative Group. See you next time on What The Riff?